Hey, Not Past It listeners, we've got something a little different for you this week. We're calling it a historical domino effect. You know that thing where you line up a bunch of upright dominoes and then you tip over that first one and it hits the next one and then the next one and the next one and it goes like... This is an idea that's actually inspired by a viral TikTok that asked, what's a random historical domino effect you absolutely love? This came from user Haytham J, so shout out. Well, in our version, each domino will be a mini history story that leads you to the next event in a chain reaction. And we'll end up at a completely different place than where we started. On today's episode, we're going back 80 years ago this week to June 22nd, 1941, the Nazi invasion of the Soviet Union. But that's just where we're starting. Because sometimes the darkest moments in our history can trigger some of the most joyful ones. From Gimlet Media, this is Not Past It, a show about the stories we can't quite leave behind. I'm Simone Polanin. We've done the hard work, folks. The dominoes are all lined up. So let's knock them down after the break. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, starting May 8th, wherever you get your podcasts. Before we get started with our game of historical dominoes, um, to make this a little more fun, it is my pleasure to have my dear friend, the beautiful, the lovely, the incredibly intelligent, Mary Halliwell. Hi! <laughs> Hey. Hello. Hi. Thank you so much for having me, Simone. It is my deepest pleasure. Maybe before we get started, we should tell the audience, um, how do we know each other? We went to college together, and I've just sort of been a loving admirer of yours ever since. So Stop. I feel like before I knew you, I was like, oh, I could never be friends with Mary. She's like way too cool for me. <laughs> so I have a story for you. I'm going to take you on a journey through time. Are you ready? Oh, yeah. Domino number one. So, we are going to begin our chain of events in World War II. World War II. Okay. The second one. Number two. The second World War. Yeah. (laughs) For you, I'm curious, what comes to mind when you think of World War II? 
oh my God, I guess predominantly the Holocaust would be the main yeah. thing of World War II for me, yeah. I think that's the case for a lot of people, understandably so. You know, most of us know about the Holocaust during which 11 million people were killed which included 6 million Jews, but also Black people, gay people, Roma people. And the goal of this being essentially to cleanse the world of this undesirable population, you know, in the eyes of the Nazis. And their goal was to build a totally Aryan nation full of, you know, blonde-haired, blue-eyed white people. Yeah, but the Holocaust was just one strategy in this larger goal of building this worldwide Aryan empire. Um, another strategy that the Nazis used was this idea of Lebensraum, which in German basically means living space, which just feels like a really gentle way to say like, oh, we are invading other countries, taking their land, setting up shop. And this brings us to 80 years ago this week, because one of the countries that the Germans invaded was the Soviet Union. The Soviet can go back a long way. Russia is a vast country. She can afford to yield, if need be, more devastated miles, all the time luring the Germans into a barren wilderness, which is far indeed from Hitler's boasted expectations of swift, easy victory. So this invasion began on June 22nd, 1941, and it was called Operation Barbarossa. What is that all about? Well, we actually talked to a historian, Roger Morehouse. He specializes in German and Polish history. Yeah, it's still, I think, the largest military invasion in history. Across a thousand-mile front, three and a half million men. It's absolutely vast in its conception, all the way from the Baltic to the Black Sea. The, the entire area of that front line between Germany and, uh, and the Soviet Union. Yeah. So... Operation Barbarossa is this massive attack and really massive in the sense of like just the amount of land that they're invading. Because again, this goes back to this idea of Lebensraum, which is creating this living space, but not for the people who already live there. This is for the future Aryan empire that the Nazis are trying to build. One thing we have to bear in mind when we're talking about Barbarossa, of course, is that this is an ideologically driven race war. And so obviously, as the Nazis are invading these territories, you know, there are already people living in these places. And so the Nazis, what they try to do is they try to exterminate, exile, or enslave as many of the existing population as possible. And they do, over the course of the war, they do that to millions of people. And the Nazis do this with the goal of basically conquering the land, killing the people, procreating, and repopulating that land with Aryans. And that brings us to... Domino number two. So, the Germans are building their Aryan empire on these invaded territories, these conquered lands. And as a part of that, they're on the hunt for children that fit the Aryan beauty standard. And when I say they're on the hunt for them, what I really mean is they're like, essentially, they're abducting these kids. The Nazis are going out looking for Aryan-looking children and abducting them to be a part of their own Aryan empire. Jesus Christ, yeah. Yeah, Lebensraum was like living space, so invading territories to use that land 
for the Aryan Empire. And hand in hand with that is another Nazi policy with its own political association called Lebensborn, which means fount of life. And it's all about populating that space. It's such a weirdly, like, grossly, like, whimsical term for something that's, like, so disgusting. Oh, my God. Right? Uh, Yeah. Here's Roger Morehouse again. And any child that sort of fitted those criteria would essentially be brought to Germany and would be raised as a German, would very often be, you know, given to childless SS families, for example, and would would be raised in sort of German orphanages and children's homes and so on, which is really, I mean, hideous, actually. It's like no fucked up thing should surprise me that the Nazis would do, but like, that's also incredibly fucked up, yeah. Like you would, you don't expect to be surprised by like, how horrible Nazis can be. And yet, like, we still are. Um, And unfortunately, uh, it does get worse or maybe continues to be horrific, which is that part of this Lebensborn program was also finding non-German women who looked suitably Aryan and forcing them to have children with SS soldiers. That's insane. (laughs) Jesus Christ. So we're essentially talking about, you know, state-sanctioned rape at this point. This is like Handmaid's Tale. It is very Handmaid's Tale. I didn't even think about that. So in pursuit of this Lebensborn program, where do you think the Germans went to find their Aryan-looking people? Yeah, I mean, I would guess like somewhere in the north, like I'm picturing like blonde-haired Scandinavian type, like... Double braids, milkmaids type thing. That's right. You got it right. Ding, 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 ding. Yes. The Nazis <laughs> did. I mean, that's a weird thing, that's a weird thing to get excited about. Um, I'm excited for you getting the answer right. I'm not excited for the reality of the events we're talking about. Very important distinction. Got to make that clear. Um, but you are right. The Nazis did make their way to the northern parts of Europe to the Scandinavian countries, and specifically to Norway, which was under German occupation from April of 1940 to May of 1945. So for a solid five-year period, Norway was under German occupation, which is not something I personally learned about in school. I don't know about you. I didn't learn that either. And that's like more or less like the whole war, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, And during that five-year occupation, several thousand Norwegian women had their children fathered by German soldiers as a part of this Lebensborn program. Did you learn about this when you were learning about World War II in school? Absolutely not. No. No. For sure not. I feel like that's something that would have, like, stuck. Yeah. It's wild because, like, 10 to 12,000 kids came from this Lebensborn program. But where did they live? And what actually happened to these kids? Well, I can tell you about one of them. And this brings us to... Domino number three. One of the kids born out of this Lebensborn experiment was named Annie Fried Lingstadt. And she was conceived at the tail end of the war and was born right after it ended. Do you know who I'm talking about? No, I don't. All right, great, good. So the mystery continues. So (laughs) 
Annie Fried actually leaves Norway. She moves to Sweden uh, with her mother after the war is over. You know, she never meets her father. She doesn't know anything about him. Basically, Annie Fried and her mom moved to Sweden to lead a new life. Annie Fried gets involved in music at a young age, and she actually becomes a dance band singer. And she gets into singing sort of these like light, breezy pop songs. Think like Bossa Nova tracks, but translated into Swedish. <laughs> Are you there? Are you picturing it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that should be a Spotify playlist for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Swedish Bossa Nova. <laughs> And so, and we actually talked to somebody about this. We talked to Carl Magnus Palm, who is a music writer, and he's an expert on one particular band that I'm not going to name yet. But he is very familiar with Annie Fried. She had a breakthrough in a talent contest in 1967, and she, she all of a sudden, she was on national TV, and Sweden only had one channel at the time, so you can imagine the impact that made. And she got a record contract, and... All of a sudden, you know, you know, everyone in Sweden knew who she was. So at this point, Annie Fried's star is rising, right? It's around this time that she meets three very important people to her life. They are named Benny, Bjorn, and Agneta. Oh my God. And they eventually form a band. <laughs> and side note, Annie Fried also goes by the name Frida. Anyway, so... Jump to 1969, Bjorn gets together with Agneta, they get romantically involved, and around the same time, the same thing happens with Benny and Frida. So now you have like two, you have two songwriters, you have two singers, and you have two romantic couples. And what's the first thing they do? They go into cabaret, because cabaret was quite a big thing in Sweden at the time. So, you know, lounge singing, cabaret, it's pretty much the same thing, <laughs> pretty connected. <laughs> So you've got this kind of incestuous band going made up of two couples. They're making their music and they're doing fine in Sweden, but they don't really break out beyond that because, you know, all their music is in Swedish. They decide they're going to record a song in English. <laughs> I'm so thrilled right now. All right. <laughs> and their band name is an acronym for their names. You've got Anietta, Benny, Bjorn, and Annie Fried. ABBA. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> they are. They're ABBA. <laughs> this is the best possible destination. I can't believe this. Are we going to talk about Meryl Streep? Is that next? Do we get to Meryl? Fuck yes. Okay. <laughs> we are going to get there. <laughs> You've got your head in the right place. <laughs> but before we get to Meryl, we have the birth of ABBA, and we're about to go to their big break at the 1974 Eurovision Song Contest. But before we get there, we have to take a little break. So, since you're the guest, Mary, I would love it if you could do me the honor of throwing to the break, if you could do your best <laughs> post-impression. Absolutely. Oh my God. Stay tuned. After this break, Eurovision 1994? 1984. 74. <laughs> you were close. How could it possibly have been 1994? It really wouldn't be 1994, but 
That's okay. <laughs> Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Before the break, we time-traveled all the way from Operation Barbarossa in 1941 in the Soviet Union to the Nazis' Lebensborn program in Norway, where we met Annie Fried. And we just found out that Annie Fried is a member of ABBA. So now we're getting to the fun part. And ABBA is about to have their big break at Eurovision 1974, <laughs> specifically that year. There are people who have lived pre-ABBA, sadly for them. <laughs> Wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. <laughs> so Eurovision is this annual song contest where countries from all over Europe compete against each other. Um, it's like, I think, yeah, it feels like it's a cross between like the Olympics and the Hunger Games and American Idol, but with the budget of like a small nation. <laughs> it's like huge. And in 1974, that is the Eurovision where ABBA made their massive international splash. And we move now across into Sweden, the largest of the Scandinavian countries. And do you know what song they debuted with? Oh my God, I don't. I hope it's Dancing Queen, but it can't be. It's not. They actually debut their classic track. The song is called Waterloo. This is Waterloo. Stop. They did Waterloo? Yeah. Ugh. That's like one of the best ones. <laughs> Waterloo by ABBA for Sweden. Watch this one. And so let me bring Carl in again. And I can say now, the band that he's an expert in is obviously ABBA. Oh my God, dream job. The day before Eurovision, no one outside Scandinavia knew who they were. The day after Eurovision, everyone in Europe knew who they were. And the United States soon followed, Australia soon followed, you know, the, the entire planet soon followed. So that was, that was their big breakthrough that kind of established them as a, as a, as a pop band for, for the entire world. So Eurovision was the stage that launched ABBA into global fame. And actually, right after... <laughs> This is, I love this. I just, <laughs> the power of this band. Okay. Right <laughs> after they have their Eurovision performance, they release their self-titled ABBA album in 1975, which gives us hits like Mamma Mia and SOS, which, <laughs> I'm sorry, to debut with Waterloo, 
and then to follow up with Mama Mia and SOS. Like, it's an absolute tour de force. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I like a superhuman levels of like pop perfection. <laughs> they never no. stop, no. they don't even slow down, you know? Like, it's just bop after bop, just relentless bop. perfection. Right. Yeah. If you're listening and you're like, just play a full ABBA song already, I legally can't do that. But we took your advice, Mary, and we did make a Spotify playlist with some of these gems. It's linked in our show notes. Go check it out. Okay. Currently, one of my housemates is obsessed with ABBA, so it's like kind of always playing in my house. So this is really nice. I guess my mom really loves them, and I feel very aware of their like <laughs> impeccable fashion sense. Like, uh-huh. God, I want to go dancing so badly. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> but all like, I need somebody to in 2021 just spin a pure ABBA party. <laughs> I loved the joyful songs, the dancey songs, but I also loved those like heartfelt ballads. Yes, the ba- like. It's they just, really dig into yeah, like human yeah. emotion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just, yeah, raw and beautiful. Yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh. You're enchained by your own sorrows. Like, <laughs> is that you, Shakespeare? Like, what? <laughs> Sorry. Okay. <laughs> but that is all to say, like, I have a deep, 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 deep love for ABBA. And I think. The rest of the world does too. Yeah. Because this leads us into... Domino number four. So after a decade of chart-topping success around the world, Benny and Bjorn get approached by this theater producer named Judy Kramer. So, you know, Judy approached them with this idea of making a musical. And their one request was like, sure, just don't make it about us. So Judy Kramer and her team take all of the ABBA songs and they write a totally original story to go with them. And they call the musical Mamma Mia. Oh my God. The musical Mamma Mia premieres on the West End in London in 1999 and then on Broadway in New York in 2001. And do you know the story of the show of Mamma Mia? (laughs) It's the story of a young girl who doesn't know who her father is. And then (laughs) I guess her mom had had three boyfriends at some point. And then she like invites all of them to like come. Is it to her wedding? She invites them to her own wedding? Yeah. And then like, you know, fun hijinks ensue as she tries to figure out. The thing that's really important about this thing isn't necessarily figuring out, like, who the dad is. It's really understanding that love makes the world go round. And we must cultivate as much love as possible among us. Um, And characters end up discovering new things about themselves and, you know, opening new doors to new emotions. But it's really... A party musical. I mean, it's like, it's for lovers of ABBA to sort of watch the story unfold, but really like hear the music bring this world to life. (laughs) So 
The Broadway musical is a huge hit. And that leads us to... Domino number five. It's 2008. And this trailer comes out. Every girl has a dream. I want the perfect wedding. And I want my father to give me away. Look at my baby. Your whole life ahead of Every family... I read Mom's diary. ...has a secret. And I have three possible fathers. Oh. My. God. Every wedding. Which one did you invite? I just love that we have like the biggest grids on faces. Just listening, just listening to the trailer. Like listening that doesn't say anything about the power of this. Yeah. <laughs> the movie was directed by Phyllida Lloyd and starred Meryl Streep, Colin Firth, Amanda Seyfried, and I mean just a host of other incredible actors. And the film was shot in Greece. And actually, apparently. Pierce Brosnan signed on to the film Sight Unseen, just knowing that it was starring Meryl Streep and that it would be shot in Greece. <laughs> Good instincts, Pierce. Instinct. True. Like, I would, like, would we not all do the same? Yeah. <laughs> um, hey, come uh, to Greece and Meryl Streep's going to be there. Right. Yeah, you, don't, you say less. Cool, I'm there. Um, so, the movie is incredibly popular, makes an insane amount of money. How much money do you think it made at the box office? <laughs> okay. Um, I don't know how any economy works, but I'm going to guess $195 million. Mamma Mia! The movie made over $600 million. Oh my God. $600 million. $600 million in the worldwide box office. And that's actually more than Twilight, which came out that same year. Mamma Mia made more money than Twilight. Oh my God. Like Mamma Mia beat out preteen girl dollars. That's massive. (laughs) It's an absurd amount of money. That is insane. And 15 of those dollars were definitely mine. (laughs) I absolutely saw it in theaters. So before we wrap up, I just want to reiterate the journey that we've been on. You know, we started off in the Soviet Union in the early 40s, and we ended up like in the most like beautiful, like movie, musical, disco party celebration extravaganza. It's tempting to sort of be like, oh, you know, we wound up at this beautiful place and, you know, it's ending with this disco ball of happiness and everyone, but it's like there's still that kind of like pall over it of the just absolute the heartbreaking things that led to it. Like it's just, I don't know, it's a really complicated thing, but I think there is something really beautiful about imagining people all around the world that year when the film came out, like putting together that amount of money to go see and just like smile at the screen for two hours. That's just like a very nice, happy worldwide thought, I guess. And I feel like, you know, this this idea of, of this being like a domino effect, you know, it's this idea that like one event topples over into the next and leads into the next. But like, you don't know 
what each domino is going to be, right? Like you don't really know like when that domino is toppling over, whether it's going to lead into a positive event or a negative event. And there's like this unpredictability to how these like historical events fold into one another. We're very invested in like trying to figure out a pattern or try to figure out, you know, just have some kind of predictability, something to anchor to. Yeah, because you're always trying to figure out like, okay, like this causes this, causes this. But then it's like sometimes it's just, yeah, it's unpredictable. All right, Mary, we've come to the end of our journey. Thank you so much. No, thank you. This has been so much fun and so like enlightening. So thank you so much. Well, it's been such a pleasure to have you. You're welcome back anytime. And actually, before we go, I'm feeling like we should probably go to Eurovision next year, right? Done. It's a done deal. (laughs) If I don't see you before Eurovision 2022... I'm going to text you in like five minutes, so... (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Bye. Not Past It is a Spotify original produced by Gimlet and ZSP Media. Next week, we're going to the movies. It didn't give me nightmares or make me want to rip anybody else's heart out. (laughs) I've never wanted to rip somebody's heart out. (laughs) Good, good. Good to hear. This episode was produced by Jake Maya Arlo, Kinsey Clark, and Sarah Craig. Julie Carley is our associate producer. Laura Newcomb is our intern. The supervising producer is Erica Morrison. Editing by Andrea B. Scott and Zach Stewart-Pontier. Fact-checking by Jane Ackerman. Sound design and mixing by Bobby Lord and Jake Maya Arlo. Original music by Sax Kicks Av, Willie Green, Jay Bless, and Bobby Lord. Our theme song is Toko Liana by Coco Co. With music supervision by Liz Fulton. Technical direction by Zach Schmidt. Show art by Elise Harvin and Talia Rockman. The executive producer at ZSP Media is Zach Stewart-Pontier. The executive producer from Gimlet is Abby Ruzica. Special thanks to Dave Schilling, Lydia Polgreen, Dan Behar and Clara Sankey, Emily Wiedemann, Liz Stiles, and Nabil Cholampat. Follow Not Past It Now to listen for free exclusively on Spotify. Don't forget to check out our special ABBA playlist. And follow me on Twitter, at Simone Polanin. Thanks for hanging. We'll see you next week. 